0: I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm delighted to welcome. Fred Natus to our broadcast. He is author of Star Settlers, The Billionaires, Geniuses, and Crazed Visionaries Out to Conquer the Universe. Thank you so much for your time today, Fred. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Fred, do you think that the current political environment, which has been so tumultuous and turbulent over these past four years, has at all tempered the desire of these billionaires to, to change the world from the galaxy and beyond rather than on planet earth? Or do you think it's made them more excited to pursue uh, what you call star settling? Um, what's the status of the star settlers right now? Well,
1: I haven't checked in with them uh, in the last week or so, but uh, it seems to me that there's always concern when administrations change uh, the plans of the, former administration may not be top on the list for the you know for the incoming administration uh, and so that's often a complaint in the kind of star settlement community that there's no continuity of of you know goals and objectives and uh,
0: Fred that from from your book that there is a consistency or continuity in what the objectives are of folks like Musk and Bezos and others or or can you spell out can you give us a, a kind of summary of what the different objectives are, um, since they aren't all identical. Yeah,
1: well, in my book, um, I try to cover, to some extent, you know, the whole business idea of space 2.0. But I'm also looking into the ideas behind it and that that have animated, you know, space settlement for the last 100 years. And I'm trying to show that in some ways, uh, there is a kind of hidden philosophy, what I call call cosmism, you know, it's from the Russian uh, circle of the late 1890s, early 1900s. So I think there's a, and I think a lot of these people did form their, their formative opinions come from science fiction. People like Musk and Bezos were both big science fiction fans as children and adolescents. So I think that, you know, the big vision is, you know, this grand scheme of of humanity becoming godlike and and extending its realm throughout the you know galaxy or whatnot uh on on the on the smaller level they're they're uh they're businessmen obviously tycoons and uh they're kind of working with bending to some extent with the where where interest is all of a sudden it was the moon again and so bezos was looking at you know creating moon settlements. Uh, Musk and both Musk and Bezos are working on satellite systems for communications. Um, Whether we're going to pivot to Mars soon, or or if Musk can do that on his own, you know, is it's open for debate. I'd say.
0: Do you think that you know the billionaires' fantasy of intergalactic uh, discovery um, is is uh, is less than it was motivated by improving the quality of life here on earth. I mean, there was a time when we were, the, the pursuit of, of spatial discovery was, was about fundamentally improving our lives so that most people could, could feel the benefit of it. And, and it feels like that's taken a different shape with Bezos and Musk and some of these other folks. Well, also,
1: I think we have to point out that the uh, International Space Treaty of uh, the late 1960s has pretty much been torn up and thrown aside. Uh, So, um, and in fact, this was signed into law by Obama, allowing private corporations to go ahead and and make claims to uh, properties in outer space, whether on the moon or asteroids. So there's, and and this has been followed in other countries like Luxembourg. So... um, the grand scheme, I think in the 1970s, the big argument played out over environmentalism, an idea that, oh, you know, people were talking about overpopulation on the earth and I don't, I, the books were talking about the dangers of limits to uh, to uh, resources. So there was a big push then to say, well, you know, outer space is the place that will allow us to um, find new unlimited resources. So they, they framed it as an environmentally friendly approach to um, continuing the uh, technological
0: project, so It was today- about um, the discovery of, of not just life, but minerals, of substances uh, that could cure cancer, that could improve our daily uh, lives. And, and, and yes, there's some elements of that in, in uh, Bezos and Musk in the extension of life on Earth. Um, but when I ask you specifically about improvements to life, I was really talking about this, this notion, and maybe it's an antiquated notion based on your interviews and research for the book, but this notion of discovering certain elements that would help us here at home on Earth. Okay, Is that, uh, is that, that still something on, on these folks' minds? I mean, it was at a point for, for the explorers of an earlier generation.
1: I could say that uh, certainly, I mean, these are uh, private entrepreneurs, so they're looking for profit a profit motive. And so you see the idea that, oh, well, if we are mining on the moon, there's uh, satellites that indicated there are a lot of rare earth metals there, uh, much, much greater quantities than on the earth where more are limited quantities. And this is pretty critical to uh, high tech equipment, uh, telecommunications and uh, even, I think, uh, wind uh, turbines and so on and so forth. So and, and electric cars. So in that sense, they are saying, you know, this is the way we can keep things rolling, potentially. It's not exactly utopian, but it's a, it's a utilitarian notion.
0: Fred, do we know what the Space Force has done uh, since it was inaugurated by Donald Trump? Uh, I can't say. I think they finally
1: might have designed a, a uniform. I'm not even sure about that. I, I would say one thing, I think they're trying to use it as a recruiting technique for getting teenagers excited about the possibility of joining the, you know, the military. I don't think anything new has come about it. They, they kind of scooped together different units from the Navy and, and whatnot to Air Force to create um, this, this new Space Force. And whether it will remain or not, I'm not gonna predict.
0: When you think of the scientific, the intellectual and the financial incentives of star settling, um, you know, what are some of the experiences recounted in the book that live on with you in how we're, we're kind of thinking about and in, in navigating uh, space today?
1: Again, I, I feel like uh, Elon Musk is kind of a critical figure because he's obviously a very savvy business person, but he also has this giant dream of colonizing Mars with this underlying notion that that's kind of what we have to do. You know, this idea of creating a backup planet, this idea that it somehow, well, it's a humanity's backup so i there's still this kind of large theoretically utopian component to his thought whereas obviously he's very involved in getting government contracts and satellite contracts and trying to figure out all the angles for continuing and you know
0: and what about what about Bezos? what is Bezos up to right now
1: the the only thing i've heard for sure is that he's you know his big big scheme was this idea of space colonies that came from the 1970s uh, Gerard O'Neill at at, um, Princeton, where he had been a student, uh, really got people, especially young people, excited about the idea of creating giant space colonies. Some of them could have been 75 miles long cylinders and 20 miles diameter, you know, spinning slowly uh, with the surface area as big as Vermont, you know, and foresting them, rivers, you know, this just grand idea. Um, But, I mean... This is—I don't know if he just put that out for public relations purposes, uh, but I, but I think in some ways he's really captivated by that that vision. But obviously he's he's working since the pivot of, of government and uh, NASA to the moon. He started he's he's been working on ideas of creating lunar colonies and hotels, from what I've heard. And so they're they're very much subject to you know what they can uh, work on at the moment. I think.
0: With respect to some of the less high profile investigators of space, like who are some of the people that we should know about on, on, um, this subject that, that are not the leaders of, of Amazon, um, or Tesla, but, but others who were involved in this pursuit right now?
1: Well, I think well, I spent a lot of time talking about a group of scientists at the university of California, Santa Barbara, who are, uh, pushing for this uh, star chip or microchip space probe, maybe one gram probe that they think they can um, accelerate with lasers, a giant uh, array of, of millions of lasers uh, set up, say in the desert and the earth, and, and, um, and, and that are brought together in phase to, to launch a fleet of these tiny microchips to say Alpha Centauri and, and their time schedule, whether it's realistic is within the next 20 years, make this happen. And then, if another twenty years, you would these ships would be approaching the nearest star systems, and you know, eventually you'd get the radio signals back. And they're not, you know, total pipe dreamers. This is, uh, on some level, considered uh, feasible, at least or presumably feasible. So that's an interesting group. Um, and uh, Yuri Milner is also backing that idea. Another one of the billionaires that I mentioned in the book. Um, I also look at. For me, I don't know, as, as, a, as a writer, I, I like the idea of these motivating ideas and the more peculiar or the grassroots kind of people that don't have necessarily the power to make their ideas real. But one of them was a guy named Peter Koch, who lived in Milwaukee. Uh, he had been a divinity student, and he started writing a science fiction novel about the moon, and he kept researching it. And, uh, you know, for the next 20 years, he put out a monthly or a 10th it was 10 issues a year, the Moon Miners Manifesto, just full of ideas for how we'd make the moon a livable, not just a sort of scientific outpost, but a, a new a new home for humanity. And, and he just really tried to think it out in terms of the cultural level, social level, uh, new right, rites and rituals, the music, you know. And so so it, it, there was a group called the uh, Moon uh I'm forgetting the name of the group. The Moon Society, I think it was called. You know, they only had a few thousand people in them, but they they, they are just such enthusiasts. I I love these sort of subcultures that uh, cohere, you know, under these bigger umbrellas.
0: One of those big umbrellas is Mars. You allude to it. Um, What did you find of the star settlers in their remaining interest in... In Mars specifically, I know that for some who were most enthusiastic about that, their attention is turned elsewhere. Uh, and maybe you can tell us where else that attention is. Uh, but first, update us on Mars specifically and, and these folks' interest in, in Mars. I,
1: I spent a, a chapter looking at the uh, Mars Society, which is a, a quite bigger society than the Moon Society. I think they were in the tens of thousands around the world uh, with chapters around the world. Uh, and they have a yearly, they have a yearly uh, conference. So I, went, I attended one in 2018, which is about the last one I could have attended. Uh, and um, these are people. A lot of them are from the. You know, it meets usually in Southern California, so there's a lot of people from aerospace there. Uh, and real Mars enthusiasts, uh, ranging in ages from their 20s to the 80s, uh, multiracial gender um, neutral, I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of women involved. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they also have NASA scientists coming from JPL talking to them. So they, some of them are, have a very realistic idea of all the issues involved and what it'd be like to actually settle and populate Mars with all the problems with radiation, medical issues, issues of child rearing uh, and pregnancy, almost impossible in some ways, very daunting. Uh, the issues of bringing up a generation that could never return to the earth, uh, so I went to all these sessions where people are talking about these, but, you know, they just, they, they all, uh, they all are, you know, behind Musk pretty much, and um, who has been a member and a found, uh, helped fund the, the society as well. Uh, but again, I spoke to a few people, one, a 40-year-old and a 70-year-old, and both of them were saying, well, you know, really, I'd just like to see somebody, some human step down on Mars before I die. So in some ways their their vision is tempered to, you know, this is a long-term project. It may not happen in the next, uh, Musk had talked about it by 2022. You know, when I first started researching the book and obviously he's not kind of come too close to that.
0: Are there a, a spatial interventions that would have the, uh, power of landing on the moon? The, 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 most recent thing, um, you know, was, uh, the space station, uh, and then, you know, new uh images of uh a black hole um you know that the, the, the but that was photographic that wasn't actually a human intervention if you will it was a, a drone out there in cyberspace and in uh not cyberspace in the in this in the galaxy um but what about the kind of event that that these folks are seeking is not something that would really improve the condition of life on earth. It's something that would maybe have some kind of abiding psychological power for, you know, sort of the morale of the next generation. What are some of the things that are contemplated besides what you just said, which is saying, you know, the landmark is before I die, I want to see a human being make it to Mars.
1: Well, I know, I mean, uh, there is a, uh... There is a, um, a Mars, uh, uh, the Mars 220 mission is supposed to arrive in, in about a couple more months on Mars. Uh, and part of that mission is to uh, get a soil sample that will eventually be returned. I think it could be a, uh, at least another decade before they actually got it back to the Earth. But that would be a real big thing in the, in the circles I dropped into um, you know, a lot of them are like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's get a woman on the moon. That'd be great. You know, uh, whether it would just be a public relations stunt or if it would lead to any continued uh, scientific outpost on the moon or not. Um, and then I guess another issue is the the spa- ISS, the space station, is is reaching its period of obsolescence. It's it's falling apart. I guess they're talking about. By the end of this decade, having to junk it and uh, create something new, and I think that's again where a private enterprise might pay, play a big role in in in, uh, in helping to construct a new space station of some sort.
0: I didn't recognize. I didn't realize the space station was, uh, as you say, obsolete or in, in the you know being worn down. Um, and uh, and that that's an interesting observation at what point did, did, did folks recognize that it, it was going to need uh, repair or need to be, uh, you know, a new station would have to be built.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the, uh, NASA people are pretty savvy about this. And, and I think they're surprised maybe that it's lasted as long as it has. Uh-huh. Uh, they've been talking about this for a while, as far as I know. And, uh, I don't think any I think by 2030, it pretty much it's going to be taken offline. Uh, so yeah that's all i can tell you
0: so what What about other planets we, we think about you know mars but that's been the focal point um but you know surely star settlers are interested in some of the other planets uh yeah i think uh i think uh,
1: venus is pretty much off the table it's just <laughs> it's uh it's got a uh, poisonous atmosphere it's it's it would crush you, and it's incredibly. It has a runaway uh, greenhouse effect there, so that the atmosphere is so thick that no one could survive on the surface in three-dimensional form, and it's super hot. So uh, the, some people talk about, oh, maybe we can create these floating <laughs> cities, uh, living sort of hang, hovering up in the clouds. There, uh, that's you know, that's a pretty long second to uh, a Mars colony where everyone can see these pictures of it looking like. Utah, almost or Arizona. When you look at the um, right. samples, uh, I think there's some, you know, moons of of um, Jupiter and even uh, Saturn that people are interested in. Um, Europa. I don't know if those are for settlement as much as again these early sort of scientific exploration with drones and, and robotic missions.
0: So that's what appears to be in the realm of feasibility, uh, given the atmosphere, um, the moons, uh, or you know, some kind of uh, third party drone as opposed to human exploration. Um, but in terms of the, 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 the incentive structure that we discussed at the outset, intellectual, you know, psychological, if you will, too, I would add, you know, what's motivating folks to think about this, uh, and then economic or financial. And, When I was referencing the idea of of minerals or elements that are not earthly to improve our existence here, uh, there could be a a very marketable um, and financially robust impact of that kind of space exploration. Um, Is it clear what might exist that could, you know, beyond satellite, um, that, that could help, um, us here on earth, um, you know, anything in particular, whether it's a a substance or, um, you know, there, there still is discussion of, of unidentified objects and, and what, you know, living or or non-living, uh, substances might be on these various planets or elsewhere in the atmosphere.
1: Uh, As I mentioned before, I think one of the the, the motivating ideas for moon exploration is obviously just water's a great resource to have in outer space. Uh, so And there's obviously water uh, in the craters and maybe elsewhere they've discovered throughout the soil to some extent. Uh, they talked about helium-3, a, a isotope of helium that can be used in fusion reactors if and when fusion power ever really becomes practical. Uh, it's just, a there's a, immensely more uh, higher concentration on the moon than there is on the earth. It's hard to find here. Uh, And again, like I mentioned these rare earth earth metals that are used in high tech products. Again, there seems to be much higher concentration on the moon than uh, on the earth. So there are some motivating
0: factors to setting up uh, mining operations on the moon. You call these folks crazed visionaries. Is part of their effort at this juncture to increase public support for what does seem to be crazy, especially in the midst of a pandemic, especially in the midst of the degradation of our social fabric in the United States and um, the rise of authoritarianism here. Um, you know, is, Are they engaged in this public opinion campaign as much as they are in their own billion dollar pursuits? They wanna convince the American public that this is worthy of their attention, even amidst a lot of challenges here.
1: Yeah, and I think what your question goes back to debates that were held back in the 60s and 70s about what's the point of a space program, and why, you know, public opinion never really supported uh, the, the Apollo program. Uh, and yet, I, so again, that's why I've looked back at this idea of this underlying ideology that. That uh, space exploration or spacefaring is this image of humanity somehow finally progressing? You know this idea of an evolution of the species to become a spacefaring species. I, I felt like when I started writing the book that, that I was sensing that you know, uh, with my antenna, my uh, that there was something different going on. The, the public opinion, if you will, was turning to some extent where pe- more and more people were being fascinated by that idea. Uh, I, I see it as somewhat seductive uh, idea because it also implies that there's some meaning to human existence <laughs> and so that uh, whether you can really make that part of your scientific uh, programs or not is is debatable to me but I think this idea that humanity has a point <laughs> and that uh, the point is to uh, leave its cradle and, and, and increase its whatever sphere of influence and maybe meet other extraterrestrial species or whatnot. And so I think there's a seductive element to that. And uh, I would I would hazard that the population is still divided by people who could care absolutely nothing about outer space and people who are incredibly enthusiastic. These are the people who I you know, tried to drop in and crash the party. Um, I think I'm somewhere in the between. So maybe there's some in-betweens too, because I really was in the could care less category for a long time, uh, but I think just seeing the Mars rover um, photo landscapes just was really kind of enthralled me and made me think, wow, these science fiction writers maybe have something in the back of their minds besides telling good stories.
0: Maybe public support is unnecessary when these men, largely men, uh, have billions of dollars, the budgets of countries um, to do what they'd like. Uh, which makes it even the, the more fantastic, or uh, you know, something that we would hearken back to the '60s uh, when space exploration was in vogue, and you would say to someone, uh, you know, Joe Smith is going to launch this propeller, this spaceship and reach Mars, and he doesn't have any backing from the State Department, any backing from any government, and it's not even his company. It's his personal largesse. I mean, you know, I would surmise that in 1960, no one would believe that is true. It's not just a spatial intervention. It was actually an economic reality that's very different. There was was a different kind of capitalism then. You would not expect one human being to be able to do the work of a country or a whole universe, a whole planet, um, and yeah. I just wonder how you how you put that in perspective as a concluding question. Hmm. Um, let's see. Now that was a tough I, we're out of time. It's a pretty bonkers notion, though, right? I mean, no, I don't. Do you think anybody in 1960 would have expected one person could land on the moon himself or herself without any support system, without any country, without any financial backing, but his own?
1: Right. You yeah, know, that's, that's, uh, valid. I, 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 think if you even go back to the 1920s, you know, Robert Goddard, this sort of pioneering, uh, rocketry figure in America, he would never tell people, you know, why he wanted <laughs> to do these things. He had yeah. this whole analogy of cosmism and this idea of expanding, but, uh, he talked about, well, I just, we just want to do research into the upper atmosphere, you know.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, so. Yeah. Fred Natus. I want to thank you for your insight and your vision today. author star settlers, appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. You too. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash Open Mind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming.